Be clean in the sight of God is not a matter of some sort of religion. You know, I went to church or I read my Bible, I prayed. Those are good things. You got to keep doing that, but that is not sufficient. What God sees, and we're going to see it today, is God looks at your heart. And let me tell you something. You want to be clean in the eyes of God. But it's not a matter of religion. It's not. It's a matter of relationship. It really is. It's not a matter of, you know, ceremonies. It's a matter of faith in Jesus Christ that has changed my life. Remember this, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. There's a lot of people who say, well, I believe in Jesus, but they don't live the life, and when they die, they'll go to hell because they never really surrendered to Christ. This is very important for us. It's not religion. It's relationship. It's not the hands. It's the heart. It's what's really going on, you guys. And so for these guys right here, um, it was just crazy what was going on. For us, we got to know it's a matter of true and genuine blue, you know, just real faith in Christ. It's a matter of the heart. And whether or not we truly worship God. You know, these guys, they came against Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus sets them straight. And we're going to learn a, a number of lessons as we go through our study today. And I think they're very helpful for us. Um, but Jesus begins with a quotation from Isaiah 29, verse 13. And notice there in verse uh, 5, um, then the Pharisees and the scribes, they asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. I mean, here the Lord, he hits them hard, man. It's kind of like a double whammy. It's a rebuke of monumental sorts because not only did he identify them as hypocrites, he let them know that Isaiah's prophecy on hypocrisy was all about them. Imagine that. Hey, you know, they're writing about you in the Bible. Really? What is it? You're a hypocrite. <laughs> Imagine that. I mean, they say they love me. They or say they're followers of God. They sing the songs. They know the scriptures. They honor me with their lips. They know what to say, but their heart is a million miles away from me. Their worship, one translation says, is a farce, and they've elevated their man-made rules and regulations above the status of divine doctrine. You know, Warren Wiersbe tells us that History reveals that Jewish religious leaders came to honor their traditions above the word. Rabbi Elazar, he said, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition has no share in the world to come. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish traditions, said this, it said, it's a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis 
than to contradict the scripture itself. And so basically what they were saying, it was worse to violate our tradition than it is to violate God's truth. And if you do expound or teach the scriptures in any way that would conflict with their tradition, then they said, you're not going to heaven, you know? And, and for us, we've got to know this. Uh, one of the things that I think we have to come to grips with is what is your authority? I mean, who's, who, what's the revelation of how to get to heaven, who you are, who God is, what forgiveness is all about, what you're supposed to do in life? What's your authority? Is it tradition or is it the Bible? See, and for everyone, we have to make that decision. That's why it's so important that we know the word. You guys, that's your sword. That's your sword of the spirit. You should be reading your Bible like crazy. You know, I was talking to one guy who was so, so blessed. He, he talked about a time when, he, when God got a hold of his heart and he wanted to seek the Lord wholeheartedly. You know what he did? He went, he sat down and he said, I am going to read the whole Bible. And he did. I mean, just, I mean, for a lot of people, they've been walking with the Lord for decades. They never read the whole Bible. Here's a guy that said, I, I've come to discover that this is the final authority in life, that this is truth, and I'm going to start reading this. I'm not going to stop until I'm done. But there's others, unfortunately, where they elevate man-made rules and regulations and man-made truth above God's truth. And what we have to come to grips with is are the authority is the word, man. God said it, that settles it, so I'm going to seek him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I'm going to saturate myself in the scriptures. You see, these guys, they, they didn't have that heart. They said it was worse to violate our tradition than it is to violate God's truth. And they said if you expound or teach the scriptures in a way that would contradict their tradition, then they said you're not going to heaven. Now, you know, I got to make sure I clarify that uh, tr some traditions are, are okay, you know, they're not all bad. We just need to make sure that they're biblical, right? It's been said, good tradition is the living faith of men who have passed on, but bad tradition is the dead faith of men still alive. So here Jesus tells these guys that they had elevated tradition over truth. And then he goes on to give a really heavy example of this. In verse 9, he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father and mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. He keeps saying that. You guys keep doing that. Many such things you do. They had elevated their man-made traditions over and above God-given truth in, in many ways, Jesus said. And he gives an example here of this in one of their man-made commandments. They called Corban. Now, the word is a transliteration from the Hebrew language, and it essentially means gift. 
And, and the way that it, it went down, the way it ended up being a direct violation of God's clear-cut command is this. Even, it's interesting, even one of the Ten Commandments, uh, to honor your father and, and your mother. Uh, this was a serious, and this is a serious commandment of God. How many of you here still have parents? Just out of curiosity. Okay, we are to honor them. How many of you here have children? Just out of curiosity. They are to honor you. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna tell them after service today, right? It's huge to God. It's huge. It's not huge to our society, but it is huge to God that children honor their parents. You know, and looking at this right here, what we see is that it was a serious commandment of God, so serious that if a son or daughter dishonored his or her parents, according to Jewish law, they should be put to death. I'll tell you what, our whole nation would change if families raised their children in such a way. Because we've talked about this so much that family is the fabric of society. And when you get children who love, um, parents who love God and love their children and they raise them up in the ways of the Lord and they have certain expectations from them, not that they would ever abuse them verbally or physically, but they raise them up and they discipline them to, to honor uh, their parents and uh, you know, even their elders, their authorities, their teachers, police officers. I mean, the whole, the whole country would change but we have dropped the ball right here. To honor your parents is huge. For those of you who have little ones, whatever you do, don't lower the standards because this is so serious to God that if a son or daughter merely disrespected their parents in God's eyes, they could be put to death. Now this is a commandment that's repeated in the New Testament, in Ephesians 6, one through three, so it's still alive and well today, although, you know, looking at this, I think for us, not the death part, okay, that's not repeated in the New Testament, that was the civil law of Israel, but to honor them is, we see that in Ephesians chapter six. You know, and, and, and here's the thing, you guys, we gotta know this. One of the ways we honor our parents is by providing for them, taking care of them, if they ever get old and come to that place where they cannot do so for themselves. Okay, this is very important. That's why you should be nice to them when they're little because one day they're gonna take care of you when you get older, at least they're supposed to anyways, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, we see this frequently as parents get older and the financial burdens become overbearing. Sometimes it's the physical needs and how sometimes children need to step in and take care of them in those ways. You know, we see that. If you want to just mark right here, go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. It says in verse 3, honor widows who are really widows. That's the church. The church is supposed to honor widows, right? But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So if there's a widow in the church and uh, she needs help, then the church is supposed to take care of her, 
right? And we're going to see later, especially if she's been a widow who has served the body of Christ. But the Bible says right here, though, if she has children, the children are supposed to take care of their mom when dad dies. That's what the Bible says. In verse 5, now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And the context there is a child taking care of his mom. Of course, the principle goes all the way around. You know, there should be no deadbeat dads in the church. Fathers are supposed to provide for their children, but there should be no deadbeat children in the church either. That if dad dies or your parents ever come to a place where they can't take care of themselves physically or financially, then the Bible says if you don't provide for them, you are worse than a non-believer. It doesn't mean you are a non-believer, although it might. But generally speaking, you've got to know what, what the Bible says, that that's a, that's a terrible place to be. So you go back to Mark chapter 7, and what Jesus is saying is that, you know, there's a commandment in the scriptures. It's the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. But you guys have provided a loophole in the law that says to the kids that if they have what's called Corbin, they don't have to do it. And what they did was they elevated their man-made rule and regulation and tradition over God's truth. You see, and for us, you guys, we have to be so careful in this. You know, in Jesus' day, these religious leaders came up with a loophole, right? They were lining their own pockets. They were getting the money, and it was given to the church rather than the parents. And it didn't belong to the church, so to speak. You know, it was a loophole. It reminds me of that famous story just before the death of actor W.C. Fields. You guys remember that guy? A friend visited him in his hospital room and was surprised to find him thumbing through his Bible. And he asked him, what are you doing with the Bible? To which W.C. Fields replied, I'm looking for loopholes, right? And some people are like that. You know, let me tell you something, man. If your religion ever negates you from your family responsibilities, then that religion is not of the Lord. Take care of your family. Take care of your children. Take care of them. That's godly. We have to be so careful that we don't look for loopholes somehow. There are no loopholes. God is very straightforward. He says what he means, and he means what he says. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And you got to get right with God. There is a plan for our life, and God says, if you obey me, I will bless you. But if you don't, you will suffer the discipline and chastening of God. I mean, it's so simple. There's no loopholes. You know, these men, they tried to maneuver their way around the truth, and in spite of the scriptures, they created a commandment called Corbin. And what that was, in essence, is you could pledge a financial gift to God, and, and uh, it was as if you already laid it on the altar. That's the way they saw it. And so if you did this, they called it Corbin, then you can weasel your way out of your financial responsibility. You might have towards your parents, right? Sorry, mom, dad, I love you, but you know, I really can't honor you because uh, I'm not required to. I'm out of it. It's called Corbin. And even if a child changed their mind down the road, 
the religious leaders would not allow them any exception. They would claim Numbers chapter 30, and they said, you made a vow to God, and you're bound to it. You know, look what Jesus said in verse 9. In, in verse 9, he said, all too well you reject the commandment of God. I mean, look at verse 13. He said, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition. You see? The Greek word right there used in verse 13, it was used in ancient writings to nullify contracts, to declare legally void, and that's what they did through their tradition. So Jesus, after speaking to the leaders, he then speaks to the crowd in verse 14. Notice what he says. He had called all the multitude to himself, and he said to them, hear me, everyone, and, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. A very simple statement in verse 15, right? But verse uh, 17, when he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, so he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man? That defiles a man. For from within, and if I were you, I would circle those three words, for from within. That's the issue. What is inside of you? For from within, he says, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. You know, there, there's some real practical things here that I think are good for us. Number one is, what's your authority? Is it the Bible or is it tradition? You tell you what, you go to the church down the street right here, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and they'll tell you it's tradition. They've elevated tradition above truth. And I remember when I got saved, my Aunt Mary, because I used to be a drug addict, I was all messed up, right? Like some of you uh, were before you got saved. And... I remember I went and I told her, I said, Dear Mary, I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And she said, Oh, mijo, mijo, but please don't leave Mary. I'm all, why? Who's Mary? Where's that in the Bible, you know? And they have the tradition, you know, you pray your rosary, you pray your rosary, you pray, you pray to Mary. Where's that in the Bible? Nowhere in the Bible. But what they did was they elevated tradition above truth. Next thing you know, she was uh, conceived without sin. She lived without sin. Next thing you know, she ascended into heaven. Next thing you know, she's the queen of heaven. Next thing you know, she's a co-mediatrix and a co-redemptrix. Where is that in the Bible? Nowhere in the Bible. But they have done exactly what we're reading here in Mark chapter 7. They've elevated tradition they're man-made rules and regulations thinking they have some type of authority over the Bible. Let me tell you guys something. You can pray to, you can only pray to God. Not anyone else. Well, I'm just praying through them. You don't, that, that's, that's idolatry. 
You know, Mary's not omniscient. She's not omnipresent. She can't hear everybody's prayers all around the world. Only God can. See, so for us, it's an issue of authority. Well, you know, a church might have a tradition. Well, that's fine, but check it according to Scripture. The authority is the Bible. It's an issue of authority. Uh, secondly, in looking at this right here, we see it's an issue of family. And these are very practical things. You've got to go home and you've got to check your heart. How are you doing with your family? We can come to church. We can put on the show. Everybody thinks we're doing good, but God knows what's really going on. And I've learned this in my life as a pastor, because a lot of times you want to preach and you want to teach and you want to minister in a way that you can make everybody happy and hopefully you get a pat on the back. But you know what? I've learned that that's, that's nothing. You don't want any of that. You want to minister. You want to live in such a way that God is pleased. Not man. Is God pleased with your life? Well, I went to church. Well, praise God for that. And I'm not telling you to stop going to church or reading your Bible or praying. Those are spiritual disciplines that I believe are necessary, but they are not enough. We have to have a heart that's right. We have to have a life that's right. If you're here today and you're in bondage, then get some help. We're all in the battle. But there's a difference between being in the battle and being in bondage and not wanting the freedom that Jesus Christ can provide. That's where we need to be. You know, it's an issue of authority. It's an issue of family, you guys. Take care of your family. Take care of your parents. Take care of them. I mean, this is huge. And then, you know, Jesus right here, in sharing with the guys, this is at the end of the day, it's, a, it's an issue of hypocrisy. It really is. Because not about the hands. It, it's about the heart. You know, here Jesus said in verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Nothing. Nothing that goes in his mouth in and of itself defiles me. Now, so someone says, I'll read that. Let me go have a pound of beer then because Jesus said I could drink, you know. No, he's talking about food. Okay, you got to make sure you establish the context, right? And, and, and it's interesting, this right here, you guys, I don't know if you know this or not, some say this is the most radical thing that Jesus ever said. It's interesting, man, because to the Jews, you guys know how, how, how important that was to them, right? The Jews had so many kosher commandments, um, it was crazy. They would never, ever, ever eat anything unclean. I mean, like sausage or bacon or, or shellfish. Any of you like shrimp? Lobster? Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom we have, right? <laughs> Last night, Brother Henry came over, and we, uh, we watched the Dodger game, and oh, man. Anyway, some, you know, he brought over some, um, some shrimp ceviche, and I was just thanking God, you know, that we're not under the law, right? But they would never eat that. They had a very strict diet, and they had so many religious ceremonies. Again, William Barclay tells us about how seriously this was taken and it can be seen in an incident what happened in the Maccabean times. At that time, the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes was determined to root out the Jewish religion. And one of the things that he did was he demanded the Jews to eat pork, to eat swine's flesh. 
But instead of eating, you know, sausage or bacon or anything, they, the hundreds died in the process. And there's one particular story of a widow and her seven sons. And he said that they should eat swine's flesh and they refused. And so what he did, he said to the lady, the mom, he said, if you don't command your children to eat, you know, swine's flesh, I'm going to torture them in your presence. And so he went forward, and the first child had his tongue cut out, the ends of his limbs cut off. He was then roasted alive in a pan. The second had his hair and the skin of his skull torn off. And just one by one, they were all tortured to death while their mother watched everything and cheered them on. See, they died rather than to eat swine's flesh. And so for Jesus right here to say, you know what, nothing that goes in defiles you, nothing, to them, that was probably the most radical thing he could say. You know, and understandably, this mom and her kids, maybe under the old covenant, there was something noble about it. But here's the thing that we got to know now. Jesus was coming to establish a new covenant. And he wants to abolish a mindset that says religious rules and regulations are, are okay and without relationship. That, you know, habits without heart are okay, that, you know, you might look good on the outside to man, but what matters most, what we got to know what matters most is what God sees on the inside. You know, Jesus reminds us of something that's always been true, whether it's in the old covenant or the new. And that is that, you guys have heard me say this a million times, that it's uh, the heart of, of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so Jesus calls the, the multitude. He wants everyone to hear and understand, and he shares this truth in boldness. The disciples can't even believe their ears. So they ask him again, and Jesus, he's kind of bummed. He's a bit bothered. Don't you get it? I mean, sometimes I bet you the Lord would like to come into this church and just slap us. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> Wake up, snap out of it. You know, I think that the Lord has that mentality sometimes. He calls the multitude. He wants everyone to hear. And I mean, basically he says, is, you know, this is, this is the new covenant. This is the heart that I want you to have. I mean, if you have some carnitas, I want you to eat it. I want you to enjoy it. But understand, you're just going to digest it. It's just physical. It's not spiritual. It doesn't enter the food that we eat. It doesn't enter the heart. And in this context, the heart is the real you, the inner man, not the outer man. It's the soul. It's the mind, not, not the brain. It's not the heart that's supposed to pump blood through your body. It's the heart that's supposed to beat for God. And either your heart beats for God or it doesn't. It's got nothing to do with whether or not you ate hot Cheetos or a donut or something. I, I, I will say this as a quick side note. You guys probably should eat healthy, you know? Don't be eating so much poison, okay? Have some energy for God. Maybe live a little longer so you can work for his kingdom. Don't be controlled by any animal appetites. But understand this, that your physical diet, it doesn't make you more spiritual because God looks at the heart, Right? It's really not about the food that you eat. First Timothy says we can eat anything. 
Did you guys know that? As long as we thank God for it. And I don't know if I would eat anything, but I knew this one guy, he was fishing, and he was trying to prove this point. He was out in the boat with his friends, and he got a big old worm. And he said, I can eat this. And the guy's all, that's weird. He said, I can. So he prayed, Lord, I thank you for this worm, and he ate it. Weird, huh? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, it says, For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Now, who knows? Maybe the worm still lives inside of him. I don't know. <laughs> but I know according to the scriptures, as long as we say, thank you, Jesus, we can eat. This is hard for them to let go of. As a matter of fact, even Peter, he was still under the kosher law of the Jews in the book of Acts chapter 10 until Jesus appeared to him and set him straight. And it's interesting there because there's a link there between this because in Acts chapter 10, when that sheet came down and said, go ahead, you can eat anything you want, Peter said, not so, Lord. You know, I've never ate anything unclean. And, and Jesus said, what I've called clean, you know, it's clean. And then there was a knock at the door and there was this guy, Cornelius, a Gentile, and God right there opened the door to the Gentiles. I mean, there is a link here, this message of you know, being uh, an individual who knows that it's not about the, the food, it's about, you know, the people. It's about the heart that's right. And I was thinking how there's a link between the, the meals now that have changed and the mission now that has changed. We've got to go out and we've got to win the loss to the Lord. Don't be one of those that says, ooh, you're, you know, are not a Christian. Well, I can't really talk to you. I can't touch you. I can't reach you. I mean, that's the way the Jewish mentality came to be, so much so that they believed the Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell. You guys, we got to get out there in the world, but not of the world, reaching them for Christ. You know, Jesus right here in closing, he brings up 13 specific things that defile a man that are sin. These things they do make you unclean. They do, in a certain sense, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, separate you from God. And although the list is not exhaustive, we probably should examine our lives to make sure we're not, you know, practicing any of these things. You know, it's interesting. You guys know that the words we speak, they, they come from the heart. Do you guys know that? Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's all about the heart. And I'm going to tell you guys something else which is really interesting here. He says, out of the heart. Out of the heart. But it's interesting. The first thing he mentions is evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. The evil thoughts are sin. You know, and you start whatever, you know, Matthew 5, murdering someone in your mind. Matthew 5, lusting after a woman. You've already committed adultery with her. We're like, well, I, I didn't actually do it. In, in God's eyes, you did, because what happened was, you know, the image came into your mind, and you're feeding on it. You were dwelling on it. There were evil thoughts. You weren't bringing your thoughts into captivity. Let me tell you something. There is no creature that is hidden from God, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I mean, it's heavy here. The, the Jews thought they were cool because they washed their hands. And Jesus said, you need to wash your heart. What's going on in, inside of us? The, the first thing he mentions here, the evil thoughts. 
I mean, a lot of people would get in trouble just right there. I mean, he talks about adulteries, that sex with someone other than your spouse, or fornication, sex outside of marriage, murder, stealing, covetousness, wickedness, also known as malice. That's the intention or desire to do evil. Deceit, lust, uh, an evil eye right here is literally envy. You don't like it when others get blessed. God sees all that. You know, blasphemy, slander, where you talk smack about other people. You think no one hears. God hears everything. The pride, the foolishness of our heart. You know, all of this can be inside someone's heart. And what Jesus is saying is that, you know, this is not some external religion, you know, that, that's superficial and, you know, you can impress others on, on the outside. I just want it to be real. You know, none of us here can be perfect, but we can be surrendered. We can. We can be proper. We can come before God and say, Lord, I'm struggling in this area. Will you help me? You know, rather than putting on a show and pretending like everything's okay. You know, when you think of pride, it's something that we all struggle with. You know, when we think of lust, they say it's every man's battle. But like I said earlier, it's not every man's bondage. If you're here today and you're in bondage to any of these things, and these things identify you, you got to really get with someone and you have to walk in the light. We talked about in Thursday night about confessing your sins. You're like, well, I confess them to God. I confess them to God. You know, a lot of times that's, that's cool. He will forgive you. You don't have to go to a priest. But you're still in the dark. You're still hiding it. When you confess it to someone that you can trust, now you bring it into the light. You're going to have fellowship with God and with each other. All I'm saying is this, you guys. And, and I know there's different, you know, commitments in this congregation here this morning. But I want you to know this, that God loves you in such a way that he wants a true love relationship. He wants it to be real. He doesn't want just to be a habit. Well, I go to church on Sundays and then I split and I go live my life. He doesn't want just to be, you know, routine. He wants it to be real. He wants it to be deep. He wants to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. But it, it can't be like these scribes and Pharisees. We have to know our authority is the Bible. We have to know our responsibilities with our family. And we have to understand that God will not put up with hypocrisy. He wants it to be real. And so um, let me tell you something. You can only do this if you're truly born again, right? You know, Matthew 23, 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You know, and I think, especially, you know, someone like me, or maybe if you've been walking with the Lord for a while, you kind of know how to make it look good on the outside. And you look like this whitewashed tomb. It's kind of nice and beautiful, but on the inside, it's... It's not right. God says you gotta, you gotta go beyond that. We'll see later. Jesus really rebukes the religious leaders for that. And then one last passage. If you want, um, turn to Matthew 5. And we'll close here. Matthew chapter 5 in verse 20. Uh, Jesus said, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. How many of you here want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Okay, good. There's a couple of you. I'm going to get to you afterwards. But <laughs> you, you, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Cool. Your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay, and you might look at them and you're like, wow, these guys prayed for hours. They did a lot of religious stuff. They memorized scriptures. They fasted. They tithed even of their mint gardens. How can my righteousness possibly exceed theirs? You want to know how? By faith in Jesus Christ. You guys, true saving faith in him. Lord Jesus, I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. You're my righteousness. One day when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you in? You got a one-word answer, Jesus. And that has to be real. It can't just be on your lips. It has to come from your heart. Jesus died for us on that cross. He bled. He shed his blood for us. And the Bible says that if we turn from our sins and trust in him, then we can have the imputed righteousness of Christ. If you find yourself struggling in some of these things, you know, and it's got you in, in bondage, maybe that's a revelation that you don't really know the Lord. And so what God wants to do today is not just beat you up and say you're bad. God wants to save you by bringing you to a place of absolute surrender. You guys, I pray you would know the love of God, and I pray that you would respond. There's this cool scripture in the Proverbs, and we're talking about the heart, and you know what the Proverbs says? It says, my son, give me your heart. I pray that we would do that today.